1 Corinthians chapter 2 is today we're going to look at uh, the testimony of God in verses 1 through 5, the wisdom of God in verses 6 through 9, and then the emphasis being on the Spirit of God in verses 10 through 16. You know, I was thinking about how um, God wants to do such a work in our life, and I was comparing it kind of like to the way that if you guys think about it, uh, a simple work is greatly different than the wonderful work, the abundant work that God wants to do. You know, with simple math, we can balance our checkbooks. But with complex math, we can send a man to the moon. And I, and I think that what happens a lot of times in our life as Christians is we, simple, we settle for the simple things. We don't go into the deep things of God. And therefore, we kind of don't experience the life that, that Buzz Lightyear said to infinity and beyond. We don't really experience that. It's kind of cool in this chapter right here, we're going to see that, yeah, it starts in the simplicity of the gospel. But then it moves on to after the testimony of God, then the wisdom of God, and then the spirit of God. And as God takes his word and he teaches us the deep things, we grow, we become mature and we fulfill the very destiny for which we were created. And so we're going to see that in today's chapter. It's a great, great chapter as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. Notice what Paul says here in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. And so it begins with, with the testimony of God. And in, that's probably in reference to the gospel. When I came and, and I gave you the gospel, uh, I didn't come with excellence of speech. I didn't enter Corinth with eloquence per se. I didn't come, you know, depending on lofty words of intellectual and impressive wisdom. When I declared to you the gospel, he says, for in verse 2, I determined, I decided, I resolved not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, imagine you go into a big city, a city, you know, Corinth is huge. Uh, you know, you go into the city of Las Vegas, so much sin, uh, so much carnality, and you want to go and plant a church there. You know, and so, you know, Paul was thinking, well, how am I going to do this? And, and what the Lord showed him, and we're going to see there was a process here, probably due to his failure in Athens, is that when I went to this city, I just came there with Jesus. That's all, nothing else, no one else, because there's power in his name, right? As we go and we share the name of Jesus with people, think about it, they go from death to life from blindness now they can see now they can hear now they can speak now they can live now they can be used by god by the power of the name of jesus paul says i just came with him just you you just believe in jesus you know one time ch spurgeon was checking the acoustics in the in the in the church and he you know shared something simple believe on the name of the lord jesus and you'll be saved and there was a man there that was working on the lights and he was in the scaffolding he was smitten with conviction and he was saved 
because there's power in the name of Jesus. You can go up to someone, you're getting some ice cream and Baskin Robbins, and I'm not saying that you've got to do this because I don't want you to be weird, but if the Lord leads you, you can go up to them and you say, Jesus loves you. You believe in Christ. I know you're struggling. You can be saved today because there's power in his name. Paul said, that's when, when I came to Corinth, I just came with, with Jesus and telling the people, bathed in his blood, cleansed by his cross, saved by his sacrifice, just Jesus. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. And Paul says, that's how I came. I didn't flaunt my PhD. Yes, I graduated from the University of Jerusalem. Yes, I was raised by the, the, the most prominent rabbi of all, but I didn't come with that. I came in simplicity. I came in the name of Christ. You know, and for us, as we're sharing the gospel, I want to encourage you. You know, hopefully it encourages you. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. To be simple, it just comes natural, right? For Paul, he was a very educated man. More than likely, he was a genius. But for him, he had to kind of say, I'm not going to depend on those things. I'm not going to depend on my knowledge. I'm not going to depend on the way that I was trained in, in, in eloquent speaking. I'm just going to come and make it simple and share the name of Jesus. And as he did, God did a work in Corinth. You know, Paul says here in verse 3, I, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And now we talked a little bit last week about how some of the guys in Corinth, they were started lining up behind men. I'm of Apollos because that guy's so eloquent and knowledgeable. I'm of, you know, Cephas. He's one of the originals. I like the way he breaks it down. Or I'm of Paul. You know, he's the one that planted the church. And, you know, Paul says, no, our faith is not to be in men. Because the best of men are men at best, and eventually you're going to see their flaws and failures, and that might discourage you. We're just men. So what he says right here is, when I came, I, I, I was with you in weakness. And, I, and I, for those of you who have taught the Word of God, you know how he feels. I feel that way every single time I preach. These legs, man, they, sometimes I feel like I'm going to fall. I'm afraid. You, you've done this a million times. Yeah, but, you know, this is holy ground. These are God's people, the most precious commodity on planet Earth. No one goes to the pulpit without fearing, without trembling, without this trepidation. Because when you go with that heart, and God knows it's not an unhealthy fear, but it's a godly fear, what you're going with is, I need the Lord. I can't do this. I can't. Paul says, when I went to Corinth, that's how I went. Verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so the great Paul the Apostle was timid in his testimony. He was weak and afraid and trembling. And this would be a much different approach than his approach in Athens. And that's why when you go through the book of Acts, chapter 17, you'll see that when he went to Athens, you know, he was doing the, the normal thing. He would be, you know, sharing in the synagogue and then also sharing in the malls and the public places. And while he was there in the mall, 
uh, then some guys heard him and they said, hey, this guy right here, he's got like a different message, a novel message, a new message. And they told him, hey, you should go over to the Areopagus, Mars Hills. And that's where all the philosophers and all the guys go and they go and they tell their new things. And so Paul went and he went to Mars Hills. He went to the Areopagus. But when he went, when he, went he did a sermon that was different than most of his sermons he began to quote from their poets and he began to kind of like approach them with an intellectual uh, perspective. And, and, you know, again, Christians sometimes wonder, well, was that the right thing to do? Is he building bridges? And if, you know, you look at what happened there in Athens in Acts chapter 17, a church wasn't born. But that's not the only thing that we conclude, well, he is not the Lord because there wasn't results. Because you can share the gospel by the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that people are always going to get saved. And so it's not just the fact that there wasn't results in Athens. It's just it's the revelation that we see here in Corinth. That by the time Paul reached Corinth, he said, I can't go like that. I can't go with all my knowledge and all my wisdom and all the stuff that I have to offer. I have to just break it down and make it clear. I can't clutter it with all my stuff. Let me tell you about the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the one who was nailed to a cross, who bore our sins, all of our sins that we've ever done, past, present, future. And he suffered the punishment that we deserve. He died for us. He died in our place. And he rose from the grave. He conquered the coffin. He, he gutted the grave. He defeated death. And all you have to do, if you want life, if you want freedom, if you want forgiveness, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. And as he went to Corinth with that message, God did a work. And that's how we need to go. You know, in looking at this, we see three things about Paul the evangelist. Number one, his determination. In verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Number two, his trepidation, that he was afraid. He was in weakness. He was in fear because, you know, we can't come with arrogance thinking that I got it all together and that, I'm, I'm, you know, going to give this great, splendid message that's going to save people. No, because if that's your mentality, then it works. It's counterintuitive. It works against you because your confidence is not in the blood. And, and then there's the demonstration because then when God did do a work, there was undeniable. It wasn't Paul. It was God. And this is so beautiful. A lot of times, you know, you see that. You know, like, um, I'm not saying that we have to necessarily not try to, to do a God, good job. You know, hopefully, you know, pastors will try to do a good message or an evangelist, share a message, but the confidence it can't be in my, you know, conversation. But it's kind of cool sometimes when you guys see it, huh? These guys with very simple messages, very simple men, and God does this amazing, amazing work. You know, like a D.L. Moody, and I think of my pastor, you know, Raul Reese, and man, just amazing the way that when the Spirit moved, it, again, not the men, but it was the Lord choosing the vessels whom he would use, and then, you know, he sneezes and people get saved. 
Is that him? Is that the way he sneezed? It's the Holy Spirit building the church and saving these guys and starting churches all around the world. When your dependence is on God, you will see what God can do. And that's what we see here. Paul was saying at the end of the day, because you saw the work that was done, and I just went in there and I just said, Jesus loves you, and, and he died for you, and all you have to do is believe in him. And you guys saw the way that the church was, it just grew, and God planted it there, and of all places, Corinth, you knew it was God. And that's where we have to be. It's a bummer sometimes when we think, well, it's the lights, it's the, it's the sound system, it's the air conditioning. I mean, you name it, you know. We got different reasons. That guy's such a great speaker. Well, so is it him? I mean, God forbid that we would think it's him. I mean, it's the Lord. And that's where our confidence needs to be. You know, Paul demonstrates the power of the gospel. He talks about that in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You know, when I got saved, here I, here I am, you know, with all my issues, with all my struggles, with all my addictions, with all my failures, with all my hopelessness, with all my life not having love, everything that I was, the moment I gave my life to Christ, God came in. I mean, it's, it was a demonstration of the power of God. And that can happen to you when you get saved. Sometimes it doesn't happen to people. They don't feel the lightning, but it happens to you when you get surrendered. When you lay it all down at the foot of the cross and you're like, you know what? I believe, Lord, in you and I give you my heart. I give you every area of my life. I'm not holding back anymore. And when you, when you come to that place, the God of the universe will meet you there. And so Paul here, when he starts off the, the church in Corinth, he begins with the testimony of God, how God did that work in saving so many. But then he goes on and he teaches us about the wisdom of God. And this is so cool. In verse 6, he says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. The NIV says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. You see, in the Christian realm, there is a difference between preaching to the lost and teaching the church. And as we teach and feed the flock, there's also a difference in the doctrinal truths that we have in the Bible, right? For the babies, there is a simple truth, and the Bible describes it as milk. But when you grow in the Lord and you mature in the Lord, then there's the meat of the word, and God describes that as meat, you know, babies can't eat meat, right? Uh, we actually have a picture of a baby uh, biting on some meat. I think we do, yeah. And it's kind of cute, huh? But it's incorrect, right? I mean, you're not going to see a baby biting on meat like that because it takes time for them to develop the molars to eat the meat. And the same is true for us as Christians. It takes time, and there are tests to pass and trials to go through and grow through in order to develop the molars of maturity. 
it, it takes time, but at the same time, it's just crazy because sometimes you see people, they've been walking with the Lord for so many years, and they're like two years old. They've never grown into the man of God. The woman of God that God had called them to be, they're still immature, right? And so we're going to see that in, in Corinth. Um, there's immature Christians. By now they should be so much farther. By now they should be teachers. By now they should be planning churches. By now they should be missionaries all around the world. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14 mentions people like that. 1 Corinthians 3 is interesting. He talks about that here. Turn there if you would, uh, and we'll just get a real quick uh, preview of what we'll be studying next time, Lord willing. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able for you are still carnal. And so this wisdom that we're, gonna, we're about to talk about that is so important is the wisdom from God is for the mature. Here we see that it is possible to be a Christian for many years and not be mature. And God had so much more for you, but you chose the ways of the world. Verse 6 of chapter 2, back in 1 Corinthians, he says, However, we speak the wisdom among those who are mature. And we're going to see the wisdom is for the mature, and the wisdom is from God. He says, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, they're, they're perishing, but, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so remember earlier we're talking about the math that can help you balance your checkbook, and that's cool, but then there's the math that can send a man to the moon. That's how it is kind of like in the Christian life. There's the simple things, thank God you're saved, but then all the wonderful, deep things, abundant things that God has for you, a lot of times some people don't realize. Why? Because they're not mature and they don't really get into the real, true, uh, deep wisdom of God. You know, because we don't know the difference. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's not things like science or psychology. It's not human philosophy. And last week we talked about the fact with all our technology, in the world that we have today, we're still so lost as a society, right? No, we need the wisdom that's from above. We need the wisdom of God. And that could be, you know, things where we can sometimes get, you know, sidetracked with education. Education is great, but it's infinitely different than spiritual knowledge. Or even just the way that sometimes the mantras of the world, they contradict what the Bible says. Like the world will tell you, just follow your heart. Right? Where, as Jeremiah 17 says, your heart's all jacked up, right? <laughs> You're going to follow your heart? Absolutely not. You don't just go by the way you feel, right? The world says just do it. And what does the Bible say? It says pray about it, think about it, get counsel about it. You don't just do it, 
right? The world will teach us, well, at the end of the day, it's survival of the fittest. And there you are, you go to work, you start stepping on people. Why? Because you want that promotion. And what does the Bible say? If you exalt yourself, God will humble you. But if you humble yourself, then God will exalt you. You know, the world tells you to love yourself, think first of yourself, serve yourself. And what does the Bible say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. See, the wisdom of the world is way different than the wisdom of God. You know, in in Corinth, man, there may have been some who were making their case, saying to Paul, well, I'm not talking about the common wisdom of the common man. You know, we're talking about the wisdom that comes from the top, the cream of the crop. And that's why Paul mentions here in our text, uh, he mentions that it's not the wisdom even of the rulers of this age. You know, and you look at, at Pilate, and there was Pilate, and God was talking to him. Do you guys remember how Jesus came, and they brought him before Pilate, and, you know, the Lord's trying to minister to him. And what does Pilate say? As Jesus is saying uh, there in John chapter 18, that I, I bear witness to the truth. What does Pilate then conclude? I've studied philosophy. There's no such thing as truth. What is truth? And his education got in the way of the revelation of God's love that was right there facing him, right there in his presence, right? It's the Romans, it was Pilate. For the Jews, it was the priests. Paul says the wisdom of God is not human education. It's not, you know, a man-made religion. And that's where the priests got tripped up, right? He says right here, none of the rulers of this age knew what was really true, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And, and I, I, this is a quick side note. I think that's a great title of Jesus, huh? The Lord of glory. And we're going to come back to that. James chapter 2 and verse 1, he also mentions Jesus in that way. But, but what ends up happening, you guys, even the religious leaders, they missed it. Even the guys who were Bible thumpers missed it. Jesus told them in John chapter 5 and verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And we're going to see that the wisdom that we're talking about, the wisdom that will bless your life and blow your minds is, 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 is culminated in Jesus Christ. You know, and in one sense it was hidden because their hearts were hard, But when you look at the Old Testament, you see Jesus is there saturated throughout the scriptures. But because of the fact that they were just going through the motions, there was no relation, there was no fellowship. Because of the fact that it was just a habit, it was just a religion to them, they were oblivious to something that was so obvious. And how we need to be so careful in all these things, you guys. There is a, the wisdom of the world. And, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be smart or get our education. We have to follow the Lord and he will lead us in all those things. I wish I knew more. I really do wish I knew more. But something's, you know, wrong with my brain. I, I don't know. You've got to pray for me, man. When we were in Colombia, I was uh, 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 hanging out a lot with uh, Hector Martinez. And some of you guys might know Hector. He's a Spanish pastor at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. This guy is an amazing man. He knows seven languages fluently. Think about that. So he tried to teach me through, through the whole trip. I don't remember anything. 
that he taught me is, okay, Manny, okay, today our lesson is, and he would give me a different language, right? He would tell me just all the romantic languages and everything, and I would just feel so bad. I'm like, hey, Hector, I'm so sorry. My brain's broken, man. It, I can't remember any of those things. I wish I could, but I will say this, by the Spirit of God, I, I know the Word of God. That's like the only thing I can remember. Now, some of you guys are able to retain both, and praise God for that. But if you had to choose between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, my prayer is that you would always choose the wisdom of God. You know, we send our children to school to learn and to read and to write and for arithmetic, right? We send them to college, they find a career, and that's good to get some cash. And that's, you know, okay to have an education, But we need to remember that infinitely more important than the human education is the way that, like we did with Aurora today, the dedication of our children to God. To teach them those things. You know, I've mentioned to you guys many times one of my favorite quotes from Theodore Roosevelt. He was the 26th president of the United States. And he said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is more important than a college education. And I would say infinitely more, because if you thoroughly know the Bible and you don't just take it for objective truth, but it's all part of your intimate, personal, powerful, um, amazing relationship with God, oh man, you're open to the Spirit of God and the love of God, and you have a healthy fear of God, imagine the life that you'll live. See, Paul here is he's writing to the Corinthians. He shares about the testimony of God. And we go and we take the gospel. We keep it simple. But then he talks about the wisdom of God. And it's for the mature. It's the wisdom that's from God. And then thirdly, we see in our text that this wisdom is glorious. Look again at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages. Notice, for our glory. Now, what does that mean, for our glory? Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's interesting he uses that title here. But as it is written, here it is, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And what Paul does right here is he takes a combination of Isaiah 64.4, Isaiah 65.17, Psalm 31.9, and he knits it together to this beautiful verse that we read in verse 9 that our human eye can't see it without divine assistance, that our human ears can't hear it without the spiritual hearing aid, that our, our hearts that are fallen fall infinitely short when it comes to understanding the things of God how his ways are invisible, his ways are inaudible, his ways are inconceivable unless the Spirit of God shows us the wisdom of God, right? For this wisdom we're speaking about is not of this world. It is glorious. It is glorious. Now, sometimes people will quote this verse right here and they'll say, well, this has to do with heaven. Yeah, in, in part it does. One day we'll be home in glory. But in the context, no. He's talking about our, our, even our life 
on earth, how our life on earth could be, should be glorious. That's what happens when you grow up, when you, you know, open up your heart to the love of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, this life that, man, from the wisdom of God, walking in wisdom, there's a whole bunch of people, they got a whole lot of knowledge, but they don't have any wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And when you begin to know these deep things of God and you start living that life, then what ends up happening is you fulfill the destiny for which you were created by God. It is glorious. You know, sometimes we look at our life and wonder, you know, what happened and I don't know if you look back with just a whole bunch of woulda, coulda, shouldas. Maybe you have a lot of regrets because you've had so many reserves in your relationship with God. My encouragement to you is don't even look back anymore. Let's look forward. Let's look up. Let's see what God has for us for the rest of our lives. You know, one day we'll be home in glory. It's true, but our life today should be a story of God's glory, the amazing things that God himself will do in our lives. You know, I think of David. I think of this little guy, man. Think about it. He's a shepherd out there in the field. He's watching over the sheep. But he enters into this personal relationship with God, and God just begins to work in him, and God just begins to prepare him. Next thing you know, he ends up becoming the king of Israel. He becomes the the typology, the example of Jesus. He becomes this amazing king, a man after God's own heart. And that was David's destiny. Question, what's yours? Things that God has prepared beforehand. That's what we're talking about right here. You know, when you look at this, again, some people quote it as a reference to heaven, when in all reality, it's a passage about all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We're talking all the things. Look back again at at verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor ventured into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. On our own, it's invisible and audible and inconceivable. But God has these things that he has prepared for us, all these things which God has prepared. You know, when I think of all the things, I think of the, the impossible things. Jesus spoke of in Matthew nineteen twenty six, when he said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, I think of uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. What is it that God's calling you to do? What kind of husband is he calling you to be? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason why a lot of times we don't do the things we're supposed to do, all the things we're supposed to do is because we're walking in our own strength. You know, I heard one of the guys that's kind of cool at the pastor's conference, he was talking about how the Bible says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So let me ask you a question. How did Jesus love the church? He gave two words, incarnation and crucifixion. So what did Jesus do because of the fact that he loved the church? He entered into our world. And then he died. How many husbands here need to enter into your wife's world? It's a different world, huh? Completely weird. 
mysterious. I don't understand it. Husbands, they'll stay out. They're like, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to go to the ball game. I've got my work. I've got my hobbies. I've got my life. And you're living your life, and she's living her life. And you've got your world, and she's got her world. But the Bible says to love her as Christ loved the church. He stepped off his throne. He entered into our world. And then he died for us. I mean, when we're talking about destiny, we're talking about, you know, things like that. We're not just talking about, you know, Christian, you know, religious, you know, stuff like that at the other side of the world. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It's so cool how we're all unique, how God has different things for us. But it does start at home. And so what we find right here is this is how it, how it happens. This life, it's It's glorious. You know, one of the best things that we can ever experience in life is that we can be more and more like Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And as we're reading the Bible and we're learning about Jesus and we're watching his life and the revelation of him, then what God is doing is God is transforming us with we have an open heart to be more and more like him. You see, the, the testimony of God, we keep it simple. We depend on him, not ourselves. But then when it comes to the wisdom of God, you know, we, we want to go deep, Right. And, and notice again what he says in verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor ventured into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Question. Do you love him? Do you really love him? Why do you love him? Because he first loved us, right? What a life God has for us. A, a glorious life. Are you experiencing that? I pray that you are. You see, the testimony of God in verses 1 through 5, the wisdom of God in verses 6 through 9, and the emphasis then is on the Spirit of God. Again, I has not seen, ear heard. We're not aware. It's not there in our hearts. But notice what he says in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man that's the person who doesn't know the lord does not receive the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. And so there's a lot here, the emphasis being on the Spirit of God. 
And the first thing we see is the revelation there in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Remember earlier we were talking about how it's invisible and audible and inconceivable on our own. But the spirit of God has revealed them to us, right? And primarily that happens through the word of God. And so the spirit of God, he, Jesus said in John 16, 13, that the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. And so there's a spirit of God moving the men of God to write the word of God. And so we get the revelation, first of all, through God's word. But then secondly, he brings up the spirit's investigation. Look again at verse 10. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And so now you have God's mind. How does God think? How do those wills turn within his, you know, heart? And the spirit of God, he gives us the revelation, but it's not, you know, before he has done the investigation, right? And what we find is that the Spirit of God reveals to us the mind of God. You know, I was thinking about how, how amazing it would be if we could read each other's minds and how depressing it would probably be as well. Like, what am I thinking right now? You know what I'm thinking? Nothing. Nothing. Did you know that guys can think nothing? Girls can't. Girls have these six compartments in their brain, and they're thinking of six things simultaneously. But then you turn to your husband, and you're like, what are you thinking? He's all nothing. And you're like, he's lying. You're lying. And you're like, no, seriously, I'm not thinking anything. (laughs) And science has finally proven the fact that it is possible for guys to think nothing, okay? So all I'm saying... (laughs) All I'm saying is that, you know, well, how would you know their mind? How would you know them on the inside? It's the Spirit. He's the one that reveals that to us, right? And there's this investigation that's going on, and then we're, we, we get to know these things through the declaration. Look at verse 13. These things, Paul says, We also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual you got demonic and you got angelic and what's happening now is that there's a teaching of the word of god is the spirit of god is given to us who has searched you know the mind of god if you're not a christian you won't be interested and you won't understand it and if you're here today and you're like i don't understand anything manny's saying except for the empty mind thing i don't understand anything (laughs) It's because you need to get saved. I'm telling you that today here. God loves you. He died for you. You need to give your life to Christ. Right? Or it might be because you're immature that in all reality you're holding on to sin. And Paul talked about that. This is the wisdom for the mature. If you're immature, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to even want it either. But for those who are mature, Paul says, I'm teaching the word of God. And that's why the first step always has to be salvation. It's interesting. Paul says when we're spiritual, we can judge all things. When we have the word of God to test everything. But it's different when it comes to people. Look at verse 15 again. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Isn't it so cool 
that when you know your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you've studied it out, and God's given you a good grip on truth, how you can test anything anyone says. Isn't that cool? So when you're spiritual, you can judge all things. But notice it says, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The only thing that we have to be real careful in is judging people. Now, there is a righteous judgment, but we, at the end of the day, are, are not God. The Lord knows those who are his, and we don't really know a person's motives. You might look at that guy, and you might say, man, that guy is so amazing, so godly, so spiritual, and one day he stands before the Lord, and he might not even know the Lord. Either that, or he's been doing it for the wrong reasons all along. God knows, and so be careful making conclusions either yay or nay on people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is actually going to talk about that. Paul says, when I'm judged by you, it's kind of a small thing. I don't even judge myself. But it's amazing how when we have the word of God, we can make judgments about life and we have hunches about people. All that is given to us by the Spirit of God. You know, verse 16 here is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. And how by the Spirit of God, you know, we can have the Word of God. And what ends up happening is we can know the mind of God. We don't boss God around. We submit ourselves to Him. And just think, man, as you grow as a Christian, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed someone, maybe you've been around them for a long time, and they start thinking like you think. That's what can happen to a Christian not that we come, become God, but as time progresses, we can actually start thinking the same way God thinks. And so it's kind of cool. Let me close with one last passage. And I was wondering if you could turn to Isaiah 55. Because I thought the Lord said, hey, go here, because it kind of summarizes pretty much uh, what we were talking about today. Look what he says in Isaiah 55 in verse 8. He says, for, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, uh, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, and there's a, the wisdom of the world. There's the wisdom of man. They've got their way of thinking. You've got to be really careful with that because we want the wisdom of God and his ways and his thoughts are so much higher and greater than ours that he says it's like the heavens above the earth. And so you're like then, okay, well, how does it work? Well, what does the Bible say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And I believe that as Christians, the Holy Spirit will lead our life and he will speak to us. I've talked to many people over the years, and they told me a personal promise that God gave to them. They heard the voice of the Holy Spirit because they're listening. But then there's also this, this word of God. And that's how we can really know his ways. That's how we can really know his mind. And that's what he says next. For as the rain, in verse 10, comes down in the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. And make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. 
and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And, and what he's saying right here is that my ways and, and my, my thoughts are, are like will, will rain down upon your life in my word. And I will water your life. And I will feed your soul. And you will bloom. You will blossom. You will prosper. Your life. When you take heed to the wisdom of God, when you let his love and his light into your heart, your life will be glorious. That's what God says to the Christian. You know, it's cool, you know, having the math to balance the checkbook. But, you know, I think I want the one a little bit more complex and deep. That, 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 that's, you know, I know it's a cross. I know it's not easy, but that's what I want, to go to the moon and infinity and beyond. You guys, I pray that we would know this in our hearts. You know, because I know that a lot of times, you know, we find life and the way that it breaks down at the end of the day is that we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. And I was talking to a man yesterday, and, you know, uh, it's just heartbreaking to think that he is contemplating leaving his wife and his kids. You know, maybe he found somebody else. I don't know. I love this guy. But at the end of the day, he's got a decision to make. I told him straight out. I said, I set before you blessing and cursing. Life and death choose life and for us I think at the end of the day it's just get your eyes off yourself get your eyes off that person or those people get your eyes off the situation and fix your eyes on Jesus he will never leave you nor forsake you you are complete in him He's all you ever need.